Hi guys, it's Real Talk with Tracy. I hope everybody is doing wonderful. Here we are in 2023 and the world has opened up and people are traveling and doing things and I think that's great. Anyhow, um, the Jewish holidays came up and when the Jewish holidays come up, I get rather sad. I get rather sad because I am from a so-called Jewish family. I would say they were more on the side of being atheists. But after my aunt and uncle, who I knew as my mother and father, it was kept a family secret. So my aunt and uncle raised me. And after they split up, my uncle, a.k.a. dad, got together with his girlfriend, who he later married. Um, and I remember really just not feeling accepted or feeling the love over there. She wasn't a big huggy bear. I could tell that she just didn't really embrace me. Um, and one of the telltale signs was on the Jewish holidays. I remember her going around the table and she would ask her son, she had two sons, she would ask one, would you like leftovers? And he would be either yes or no. And then she'd go to the next son, would you like, can I pack you up some leftovers? And then she would ask her parents, Bubby and Zadie, which I really thought was their names because I didn't know any better. <laughs> didn't know anything about being Jewish other than supposedly we're Jewish. But anyway, she would ask them, would you like leftovers? And then she would never ask me. She never offered it to me. She just kind of passed me up. Um, she loved it when I helped clean up the table and put the dishes in the dishwasher. But she was never generous like she was with her parents and her kids. And I know it may sound like a small thing, leftovers at a table, but it's really an analogy for how I was treated, kind of like an outsider and like I didn't really matter. So as I got older and after I started dating my husband, I just decided I didn't want to go over there anymore because her kids really had no interest in me at all. It was never like, hey, what's going on with you? How have you been? They would just sit there talking about themselves and their friends. And I, I really just felt like I wasn't even in the room. And so for me, I just felt it better to remove myself from the situation because I felt so outcasted. Um, I remember bringing a bottle of wine once and then my uncle, a.k.a. father, telling me like it wasn't the right kind um, I remember him being critical because I didn't do enough in cleaning up the kitchen, even though I didn't live there. It's not like I lived with them. She wasn't my stepmother. I was already a grown woman. And um, just, you know, the criticism. So I just didn't want to go. I didn't want to be a part of it anymore. And so I decided not to go anymore. And throughout the years, because my husband is not Jewish, um, didn't really get to celebrate the Jewish holidays. And even though I'm also a Christian and believe in Christ, 
I really felt like slighted. I really felt sad. Um, I really felt like, why couldn't my parents make it work? Why did my aunt that raised me become such an abusive woman and such a bad alcoholic? And I had to put myself into foster care just to save myself. Why, why did she never come to me in all these years and try to apologize for all the horrible things she did? You know, leaving a 12-year-old child alone at a house for up to a week at a time, not checking to even see that there was food in the refrigerator, not letting me know where she was going, when she was coming back, and then suddenly sometimes coming home in the middle of the night with four or five guys that she just met at a random nightclub. So without going into super great detail, um, I put myself into foster care to get away from her. And unfortunately, um, my uncle, AKA father, pulled me out of foster care because we had this beautiful lake house and he figured, you know, if I have the kid, I'm going to be the one to get the house. But that didn't work. It didn't work. And he would leave every Friday and go be with his girlfriend at the time, um, who he eventually married after he had prostate cancer and couldn't have sex anymore. And it's really funny because he was always cheating on her. And I always would say to friends, you know, the minute he loses the ability to actually have sex, he is going to go running to the altar to marry her. Because why not? You know, she already had a house from a previous marriage. And so that's exactly what happened. He got prostate cancer and he wound up marrying her and he wound up moving in with her and she still had a mortgage and he wound up paying into her mortgage for like 30 years and never thought of me, never thought... You know, I want to leave my daughter something. I want to make sure that all of my hard efforts and works that my daughter is taken care of or that I pass on some kind of something in my estate for my daughter, I, I was never thought of. And he told me that, you know, the, the home that I've been paying into the, for the last 30 years uh, with my wife that's all going to her two sons and you know you have no claim not even five percent like nothing and he signed off on the house and didn't stick up for me didn't wasn't concerned about me didn't really think about me my aunt that was like my mother until i found out she wasn't when i was 12 she wound up besides being really abusive just going through just cases of wine. She would drink plum wine from morning till night. And I remember her being really drunk at some parties and they had to like carry her. People had to carry her into the bedroom because she was so drunk. And it was really an embarrassment. And she was really like manic and crazy and bipolar and not treated like she should have been from a psychiatrist. And I just decided... I, I, you know what? I, I can't fix her. I got to get out of here. I need to save myself. I was really worried that she would do something extremely bad to me. And she was very threatening. 
Um, she told me anything that was going on in the house that I couldn't talk to my grandparents and she would just say I was a liar and I was scared of her. And so the only thing I could do just to save myself was to go into the foster home. And honestly, it was such a refuge. I mean, I could lay my head down on a pillow and breathe and not feel like someone was going to come in on the room, into the room on me, not, you know, be scared for my safety um, not know who's coming through the front door in the middle of the night. It was actually great, and I wanted to stay there, and unfortunately, um, my uncle, a.k.a. my father, pulled me out of there. So Then when I was 18, my aunt on my biological father's side wanted to find me and wanted to meet me and wanted to have me meet the family and have me meet my biological dad and his brother. And, you know, I allowed myself to do that, even though this man had just totally ditched my mother when I was an infant and just left. He never paid child support. He signed me off and I was adopted by my aunt and uncle, um, my aunt who was 12 years older than her sister. And they came back into my life, and because my family was so screwed up, I figured I'd give them a chance, because everything was so, like I explained to some friends, it was like a bowl of rotten fruit. And you know, if all you have is a bowl of rotten fruit, you're going to kind of turn it over and see if there's anything salvageable at all. <laughs> so, the least, the least rotten of the bunch, to me was my bio dad. Um, and why? He was not critical. He didn't call me fat. He didn't call me stupid. He didn't call me an idiot. He didn't do all the things that my uncle slash adopted father did, constantly putting me down. Um, I don't remember, I don't remember growing up my, my dad who raised me. I don't remember him ever saying to me that I was beautiful. I think, I think when I got married, I think when I got married to my husband, we were in Las Vegas. I think he actually told me I looked beautiful that, that day. But what he mostly would tell me is that, you know, you're lazy and you're fat and you're a pig and you're never going to amount to anything. And you know, your spelling's terrible and you're not as smart as so-and-so that's in my class. And he really never taught me anything. Um, he was a school teacher, but he was clueless as far as like finance or money or anything. I mean, I'm pretty much self-taught. So any kind of success that I've had, any kind of success my husband and I have had together, there's really been no mentors. We really kind of did it completely on our own. And luckily, we have enough going in for a decent retirement, and we did make some good decisions. We made a couple mistakes along the way, but mostly we made good decisions, and I'm really proud of us because my husband's from Nicaragua. He comes from a very loving family, but he didn't have any mentors. It's not like he was born here and his father was a real estate developer, and he grew up and his mom was an attorney or his mother was a doctor. You know, there was no kind of mentoring. So anyhow, going back to my bio dad, 
I did put my guard down and I developed a friendship with him. And he lived out of state, so I didn't see him all the time, but we developed a friendship and we would talk on the phone and he was really into buying and selling stuff like I was. I think it's like kind of a genetic thing maybe, but, um, you know, he was never in the beginning, he was really never critical of anything. He didn't put any pressure on me about anything. Um, and sometimes we would go and visit him. So I developed this friendship and then fast forward into four years ago, um, I was visiting him out of state and I was with my sister-in-law who I love so much. So I wanted her to come with me and I thought I was having a heart attack. I was getting really, really, really bad chest pains. I wound up going to the emergency room. They wound up keeping me. Uh, day after day after day, they wanted to do a CT with contrast. And that's when I found out I have coronary artery disease. So the first day I'm there, my bio dad, he doesn't show up for seven hours. And my sister-in-law kept saying like, where is he? And I said, I, I, I don't know. He's only five minutes away from this hospital. I don't know where he is. And she kept saying like, I can't believe he's not here. You're like laying in this hospital and Okay, so finally, seven hours later, he shows up with his wife. And his comment, now you got to realize, all of these adults in my life were ultra-narcissists. Okay, now I know what that means uh, now that I'm 60. But, you know, growing up, you don't understand what a narcissist is. Okay, so anyway, his words to me as I'm laying there with IVs in my arm and a migraine headache and feeling like crap and not knowing yet if I have heart disease or not. And I'm laying there and he says, wow, what some people will do for attention. And I thought to myself, wow, what an asshole, really? It's like I paid all this money for our flights and for a condominium to come up specifically to visit you and your wife. And you're going to like crap on me by making a joke like this. That's really hurtful. So the next day, my sister-in-law had to go home because her mom was coming back from Nicaragua and they thought she was sick and they were worried. And I completely understand that. And he never showed up. He never came to visit. He's at these meetup parties because it's around the holidays. And he's just, you know, on his computer selling stuff on eBay. It's like I'm... Not even there. Like he took us out for dinner and used a coupon, of course, and, you know, didn't really matter to him that I was in the hospital. Really wasn't concerned that I was in the hospital. Now, a couple years previously, he was in the hospital and his wife called me and said, hey, he's checked out of the hospital because they want to do some procedure where they put a bag on him to give his kidneys some, some kind of a rest. And he checked out of the hospital and I called him and I said, listen, you have daughters that love you and care about you. I said, you're being really selfish and I'm getting on the next flight and I'm coming down there and I want you to get back into the hospital. Hold on. So sorry. I sneezed. 
I said, I want you to get back in the hospital because there's people in your life that love you and you need to be there for them. Okay, so he had four kids. Two of them he adopted out. I was one of them. My brother was the other one. And my two half-sisters never paid child support for any of these children. Just up and left when everybody was teeny infants and would go on to the next woman and then have a baby and then blow her off and then go to the next woman and then have a baby. And uh, how I allowed myself to get back into even wanting a relationship with someone who's so flawed really blows my mind. And I know it's because I was looking for some sense of a normal family. I didn't have a normal family and I still didn't have a normal family. And I guess magically I was trying to hope that maybe I would have a normal family or pretend I would have a normal family. So anyway, I had called my husband and my husband's like, I'll come up. And I'm like, no, it's a simple test. You just started a new job. I don't want you to come up. I'm going to be home soon. But I was calling him every day and bawling and they kept putting off my CT with contrast. So I feel like I'm being held prisoner in this hospital for like four days. I finally get the CT with contrast. I find out that my calcium score is too high, that I have five blockages that are under 50%, so they can't stent them, and that I have coronary artery disease. And he was very ho-hum about it. Now, the coronary artery disease I got genetically from him. So I have that and then I have back issues and that's what I got genetically, <laughs> genetically from him. He's a very selfish, narcissistic person. Um, he did offer over the years to take my husband and I on a cruise, which I thought Oh my God, this man loves me. He loves me. Oh my God. Oh my God. My biological father loves me because he's going to pay for a cruise. Okay. He had a bucket of guilt that he was dealing with because he's never done anything for anyone but himself. And this gave him bragging rights. So not only could he take us on the cruise and introduce us to all these strangers, which narcissists, narcissists love that. They love how they look to strangers. They love meeting people they don't know and saying, I have the biggest house in the retirement area I live. It is huge. It is whatever, 5,000 square feet. I have a Mercedes and I have whatever, three daughters. And, you know, you look at this guy and you think, wow, what a man, you know, I mean, he's raised, which he really hasn't done anything. Um, he's raised three daughters and he's so successful. He's so successful because he never paid child support because he never paid into any of these daughters. He never paid for school. You know, he was never there. He missed most of our whole lives. And it's really easy to come back when you're an adult, when nobody wants anything from you. But I remember him getting on me about my old car. So I used to always have a company car every other year. And I had that for 18 years. And then I got downsized. 
and I got a used, uh, I think it was a Chevrolet. And I kept it for many years because my car payment was $200. And then I had no car payment. And I like having no car payment because I wanted to put money in the bank towards my retirement. So he would always say when he would call, oh, you still driving that old sled? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I broke down again. Oh, well, I just got myself a two-year-old uh, Mercedes and it's, you know, it has all the bells and whistles and da, 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 da. Okay. So he'd always mention. So one day he mentions, you still driving that old sled? And I go, yeah, I'm still driving. the old. Well, why don't you just go out and get yourself a nice car? And I said, would you like to contribute to the down payment? And he was like, no, why would I want to do that? And then turned around and tried to sell me his wife's old Camry so he could go out and buy her a new one. And he wanted me to make payments. So what an asshole. I hung the phone up on him. Clueless, completely clueless. And the other two daughters... You know, I think they're waiting till one day he's gone. They're hoping, you know, maybe I'll be in the will. Um, but they got another thing coming. I mean, I've I've told <laughs> I told my husband that savings account that he brags about all the time. He he brags, I have so much money in savings, I never have to touch it. My pension from the government is so much money, I, I never have to touch my savings. And it's just, it's just, you know, growing and growing and growing and growing. Well, he's going to use that to pad his coffin because he does not know how to give with a warm hand while he is here. You know, the two cruises actually were nice, but that gave him bragging rights. And then when I say... You've never done anything, but I sent you on a cruise. Oh my God, you haven't been there my whole life. You never paid child support, but I didn't I send you on a cruise? Didn't I take you on a cruise? Okay, so he could pull the cruise card. So he looks like he did something. But it's just really hurtful. So after I came back, from being in the hospital and by the third day calling him, I'm like bawling. And I'm like, where are you? And he's like, oh, you know, my wife and I went to another meetup, get together, and we had pulled pork sandwiches. And he's talking about all the fun he's having. I'm like, is he retarded? Like, he doesn't understand that I'm laying in bed at a hospital. I have like all these IVs coming out of my arm and they're giving me shots in the middle of the night and I have a, a ongoing migraine and he is just whistling Dixie. Nothing could be, you know, nothing, nothing is a problem. No empathy, zero empathy. And then what happened was to really push me over the edge of realizing what a waste of time he was is that I found my half-brother, who's an amazing man. He is charming and funny and witty and smart and warm. 
and he's empathetic and he's very successful. His IQ must be off the charts. And to be honest, he's like everything that, everything that, that, that could have been good out of our biological father is what he has. And the bad part of it, I don't know. He doesn't have that. So I had said to my biological father, don't you want to see your son? No, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to see him. I don't need him in my life. I said, this is your son. This is your son. He fought for our country. He's a mensch. He is a man. He is a great, great, great human being. He wanted nothing to do with him. He wanted nothing to do with his own son. His own flesh and blood that he turned his back on and wrote him off uh, when he was seven or eight years old. Never paid the ex, the girlfriend, even when my brother was sick. Never even paid for a doctor's appointment. So this is our biological father. And after all this, I just lost it with him on the phone. Everything came out, all the anger, everything. You know, you're a narcissist, you're selfish, you don't give a shit about anybody but yourself. And of course, <laughs> he hung up and never talked to me again. He didn't even want to discuss it. You know, I remember when my uncle was dying, his brother from brain cancer, who I absolutely loved and adored. I wish so much that he was my father from the day I met him, but... I remember him saying, you know, your father holds a lot of pain and guilt. And I'm, I'm like, okay, yeah, he's had, you know, children with all these women and never been there for any of us. And he goes, well, it goes beyond that. He was on a road years ago, like a winding road and it was snowing and this car full of people flew off a cliff and he was behind them. And instead of immediately reporting it or going to the police, he sat on that information and never said anything because he didn't want to be associated with any kind of an incident like this. So this is what his brother told me as he was dying. And I'm like, how can that be forgiven? How does someone see a car full of people go off a cliff and doesn't report it? I mean, did he hit them and they flew off the cliff? I don't know. But how does someone see that and not care about the people that are in the car? I can't wrap my mind around it. I just can't. So I've really tried. I've tried to forgive these people for their shortcomings and I've tried to let it go. My aunt, who I'd been estranged from, who was like my mother, AKA, really my aunt, uh, I'd seen her once in 39 years. And she was so toxic that I really wanted nothing to do with her, so I didn't pursue anything. I was really afraid of her for many years. I had nightmares many years. I used to have trouble going across my living room in my apartment with my husband when we were dating, I would picture her sitting there with a, with a huge ax waiting to kill me. 
Um, so I had to go to a lot of psychotherapy to get through all the shit she put me through. And so I just stayed away and she never reached out. I had seen her once and she was just a pitiful mess. She wound up marrying this guy who was also an alcoholic, who was 20 years younger than her. He had had all sorts of DUIs and problems, and so he was not even allowed to drive a car. And he had his car taken away, and they were in a very abusive relationship where they hit each other, and the police were called. And I found out about all this through, a, through my cousin. But anyway, she wound up going into assisted living and hospice, and she wound up dying. And she never tried to reach out, never tried to make amends, never said she was sorry. Um, her home was worth $650,000, which her loser 20-year-younger husband sold within 24 hours of her passing and took the money and went to Mexico. She didn't leave me as much as a letter. I mean, just an apology would have been really nice. You know, I'm sorry that I was such a terror. I'm sorry that I was like mommy dearest and I'm, I'm sorry I put you through hell. Nothing. No acknowledgement, no nothing. And no inheritance. Meanwhile, all my friends are getting inheritance, which I'm happy for them. It's very symbolic of someone loving you. When I hear that someone's got a big inheritance, I'm thinking like, wow, their mother or father must have really loved them to leave them a house or leave them all this money. And just knowing how slighted I've been um, and how slighted, um, just how slighted I've been, it bothers me on so many different levels. So found out that my biological mother died five days after my aunt. I hadn't talked to her in over 20 years. It was extremely sad. I didn't know she was ill. And again, she was very neurotic and none of these people were able to set boundaries. You couldn't say, okay, I will talk to you twice a week. It was like six times a day or nothing. And it was always problems and it was always some kind of financial need I needed to come up with. And they always had issues and you know, my biological mother was very needy and neurotic and she was self-sufficient, but it was just a total drain on my energy. And she wasn't in the right place mentally, although she figured things out. You know, she was never homeless. She always had a home and a pastor wound up looking after her in the later years. And I wound up finding out where he was, I wound up getting her ashes. I wound up putting her ashes in my home in a beautiful urn. And I got a couple of her paintings and I have no ill feeling, I love her. I just think, I don't know what happened in their family that they were all so mentally flawed. I don't know, I'm not exactly sure. But it's sad. So she's gone, her sister's gone, not speaking to my bio dad. And then my uncle that raised me, I don't speak to him. Then he comes back in my life begging my forgiveness. You know, on Yom Kippur, right? The, the man who's an atheist begging my forgiveness 
And I'm like, for what? And he goes, well, for whatever you think, everything, for ignoring you, for whatever, just, you know. I go, well, should we make a list? Like the times that you tickled me till I was crying and in severe pain as a child and like you tortured me. It's like, should we make a list of all the things you did to me? And I'm supposed to forgive you for all that. Okay. So, like an idiot, I forgive, forgave him because, you know, he thinks he's been dying for like 20 years just because he's old. He's 90 now. So he wanted my forgiveness, even though he believes not in God, he says. Okay. I don't believe in God. You could put in a good word for me, but I don't believe in him. Okay. All right. So I forgave him. I put down my guard and I hadn't seen him on Thanksgiving for like 30 years. So I took him out with my husband to a really beautiful Thanksgiving dinner at a local restaurant. And he winds up verbally shitting on me again, like he did my whole childhood. What does he do? He says, I know what I'm going to get your husband for Christmas. What's that, dad? I'm going to get him a young, gorgeous, thin, tall, 25-year-old blonde woman. And I'm like, why would you say that? Well, don't you think he'd enjoy it? And I go, no, he's not a dog like you. Why would he enjoy it? And he goes, you really don't think he would enjoy it? And I said, no, he doesn't cheat. He's not a cheater like you. He's not bad like you. I married a good man. And I started telling him, you know, you are skating on thin ice with me. So what does he do? He hangs up the phone on me. Now, I'm supposed to be taking him to his doctor's appointments. You know, he basically got back in my life because he needed a caretaker. He needed someone to drive him to all of his appointments and, you know, take care of all these needs for him. So I'm like, that's it. You know, not only are you going to insult me and crap on me, I said, don't you understand as you get older as a woman, how hard it is? You're trying to stay fit. You're trying to still be, you know, presentable and and to be attractive for your husband and now it's like you're saying shitty things like this to me I remember him one time going on a vacation he brought me a gift and it was a picture of this huge fat woman in a bikini sitting there like in a chair like sitting at the beach and it was a candle and it was ugly and he brought me this gift and he said this is you you know what fuck you I don't need this in my life. I don't. So I have nothing to do with him. I have cut the cord. I have zero feeling, nothing. He could offer me a half a million dollars, which he doesn't have that. But if he did, not going to be in his life. I am so completely done. I am done. There's no reason that I will ever see or talk to him again. I'm done. I'm done being abused. I'm done being his doormat. I'm done being the brunt of his jokes. I'm done having a father that has no boundaries, that talks to me about really gross, perverted things, like I'm some friend that he has at a bar. I'm done. 
I've set boundaries for him over the years. I've actually walked out of restaurants and left him sitting there by himself because he's such a screw up. And he's the ultimate narcissist. He thinks it's funny. He thinks poking fun at people and putting people down is just hysterical. So now he's 90. His wife already got all the money she needed out of him to pay off her house. And she booted him out. And so now he's living in a mobile home park. Yeah, that's a great investment. So he's living in a mobile home park. And he's going to have to figure it out. He's still touching his retirement and giving her money every month because she has something on him. I don't know if it's dirty pictures or what she knows, but there's something big because he is giving her money and cutting into everything he has, which is not a lot. And then he said to me, but don't you have an extra bedroom at your house? And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me, man. That will never happen in a million years. Oh my God. So anyway, I'm sharing this podcast. I really want to let all this go. Mother's Day is hard for me. Father's Day is hard for me. But you know what? I have such a great husband. I have a great sister-in-law. I have a great brother. I have great friends. I need to let go of this fantasy and the sorrow and the sadness of not having that extended family. I just need to accept it and be happy for all the gifts and all the blessings that God has given me. And I need to realize that none of this is my fault. I did not pick them. I was put in a situation as a child and I didn't pick any of it. And I have jumped up and down to try to do everything to get approval, to be good enough for a bunch of people that really, they don't have any value to me. They're nobody who I would meet on the street and go, I want to be their friend. Never. Never would I meet them on the street and think, wow, what fantastic people, what big hearts, what... What incredible people. You know, my bio dad and his wife asked me, why do you do charity? Why would you give someone money? I said, because they're hungry or they're needy. Yeah, but they're not even related to you. Yeah, but that's not the point. The point is, is that God has blessed me with a lot. And so when I have a lot, if someone needs something and I can help, I do. Because it makes me feel good. Because that's what you're supposed to do. As a good person, you're supposed to help other people. And it's just really sad, you guys. I wanted to get, and this is just an overview, but I wanted to get rid of this. I wanted to kind of podcast this and be able to walk away and forgive it all. I don't know if I could forgive it all, but I want to let it go. I want to let it go. I want to stop going back there and wondering if it could have been different. Um, does he regret not speaking to me? Does he miss me? It doesn't matter. He's a jerk. He's a jerk. And what God did give me 
his wonderful friends in my life, and most of all, aside from his son that died for us, he gave me an amazing husband, such an amazing man. Oh my God. I don't know how I deserved it. I don't know how I was able to come from a background that was so screwed up and get such a great husband. But next year is going to be 40 years, and I'm so thankful. I'm thankful every day that I'm with my best friend, my very, very, very best friend, my soulmate. I'm so lucky because I dated a lot of schmucks, and it could have gone, <laughs> it could have gone a very different way. So I want to tell you guys, if you're dealing with people like this in your life, they don't change. There's nothing you can do. You can't be prettier. You can't be richer. You can't be thinner. You can't be taller. You can't be anything. You cannot earn it. You can't earn getting these people in your life. And furthermore, you do not want these people in your life. You need to let it go. I pictured them all on a boat, kind of like the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's life for me. So I picture them in the boat as they go up that ramp and then go down into the darkness. That's how I picture them. And I just cut the cord and I wave goodbye. Hope their life is good. Don't wish them anything. No ill will. But I'm just done. I'm done. I'm done with them and other narcissistic people that are just so self-centered and selfish. And you know, it's been a great learning lesson because now when I meet people, I really listen and I really look and see who they are. And when I see the red flags, I bow out. I bow out. I met this lady. I thought she was really cool. She had a horse ranch, beautiful woman, lived close by, thought I was amazing and said to me, Oh, you know, I really had a bad mother growing up. And I said, yeah, you know, I had that situation. Oh, we could hate them together. You know, she made a joke. And then she said, you know, I don't really have too many friends, but I'd like to hang out with you. She says, I could be mean sometimes. That's what she said to me. I could be mean sometimes. And I listened to her. I listened to her and I believed her. I thought, you know what? Thank you for letting me know that you're a mean person up front. Because that way, I don't have to, like, get involved in this friendship with you and then get hurt again. So she told me straight out. And that way, uh, that was a big red flag. And I knew to stay away. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that she was so frank and she was so honest about that. Because in the past, I would be like, well, she would never be mean to me. I'm such a love bug. <laughs> It's like when you go out with a guy that cheats on you, he would, he would never cheat with me. You know, you, you get around these people. Let me use a dog analogy. Sorry for you pit bull lovers, but let's say you have a pit bull that attacks somebody and you, and you think to yourself, well, it would never attack me because I am such a, an amazing person. And then it bites you and then your arm's bleeding and there's like chunks of flesh hanging off. And you're wondering like, why did this happen? Well, you knew that this dog had bit a bunch of your neighbors. So why surprised? Why surprised that it bit you? You're, you're, not, you're not like beyond, you don't have magical powers where these people 
are not going to treat you the same. No matter how nice you are, no matter how accommodating you are, again, you can jump through hoops, you can sing the alphabet backwards, you could do flip-flops, you could be a gymnast and win gold medals. You will never earn their respect and their love because they're incapable of loving you. Narcissists are incapable of loving you. Just know that and do yourself a favor. Put yourself first. Walk through the door, shut the door, start a new day. All right, guys, thank you for listening to Hi Guys Real Talk with Tracy. Check out my YouTube channel by the same name. God bless you all and keep you safe. Bye-bye.